0: How many of you knew that the International Space Station flew directly over our heads last night? Janie and I knew that because we're sitting there watching the Olympic zone. Of all things the news comes on and they said at 7.07 tonight the International Space Station is going to fly over us. Go out, look to the northwest and you'll see it. So Janie and I go busting out there at 7.05 and I got out my compass because I wasn't exactly sure where northwest was and I looked northwest and we see planes and they said the International Space Station will have a solid light. There won't be any blinking lights so that's how you'll know it's not an airplane flying and, and it will fly much faster than an airplane so so we go out there and we're looking northwest And says, it's right there babe. just look right there and we can start seeing something through the trees and it's awesome and it's this bright light one of Janie's things is she loves to wave so like if we're on a cruise ship and there's another I mean if there's people on the shore Janie's waving another cruise ship she came back in on this last cruise she came back in she goes I got a dozen waves today she was so happy because people she just she's a waver hey And so it's pitch black. We're looking up at the sky. And I said, are you waving? She goes, oh, I forgot. And she starts waving. And I said, you think they can see you? You think they're waving back? She goes, probably not. And I said, well, I'll use my flashlight. (laughs) And then I went in on Facebook to see if anybody from the International Space Station saw a flashlight behind my house. And they didn't. And I was so disappointed. You know what I was grateful for, though? I was grateful that some kind of meteorological event happened during my waking hours, not during my bedtime, because at 9 o'clock, I go to bed. And so I'm just like, baby, you're on your own if it's after 9 o'clock. But it was 7.10, so I got to wave at the International Space Station. And do you think they saw me? I'm pretty sure they didn't. And I thought about that, and I thought, you know, a lot of you wonder if your Heavenly Father ever sees you. Waving, you're praying, and uh, and you wonder, is God even listening? See, God sent Jesus to show us what God is like, and Jesus had a conversation with a lady who wondered if God would ever see her, the woman at the well. If you've watched the the season one of the Chosen, it's episode eight, isn't it? Of the Chosen, it's a great episode, and she's she's like, oh, how come you're talking to me? And they had this whole conversation. And Jesus said, I've come to tell you what God's like. And then she, he even says, I've come to tell you what worship is like. And here's what he says to her, John 4, 23. But the time is coming, indeed, it's here now, when true worship worshipers, what kind of worshipers? True worshipers will worship um, the Father in spirit and in truth. Now, that's a lowercase s. It doesn't mean Holy Spirit and truth. It means using your heart and your mind. It means accuracy. Um, it means authentic worship based on the word. It's from the heart. Because see, this lady, this woman didn't know who to worship. She didn't know how to worship. She didn't know where to worship. And Jesus said, I'm here to tell you that. And today I'm going to tell you how, how you can worship in a way that your heavenly father sees you and acknowledges you. Now, did you know that every human being in every culture since the beginning of the world, where we have records, every culture has worshiped God? Every person has a desire to worship God. And I don't, if you're an atheist, please explain, explain to me how worship comes into the equation for every culture in the history of the world. Because, because worship isn't necessary for evolution, but every Culture has some type of worship. I believe that's because God put that in us. But but please help me out. Help me understand where worship came from. If you're an atheist, if you think we are just this this soup that somehow began to to multiply and become humans, that just doesn't make, doesn't even make sense to me. If you don't worship God, you're going to worship something. Now, whether the things we worship are wise things to worship or not, that's open for debate because have you ever been to a football game? Do people ever worship their team? Yes. Have you ever been to a rock concert? Do people worship their favorite singer or artist? Yes, they do. And sometimes that's not the the best thing to worship. So let's talk about worship for a few minutes today. Worship simply means worthship. It means this object is definitely worth my time, worth my attention, worth some of my money. And according to the Bible, there's only one who's worthy of your time, your attention, and your money as the number one priority in your life. It says in Revelation 4.11, you are worthy. You are worth my time, my attention, my money. Oh, Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. Revelation 5.12 says, Worthy is the Lamb. That's a capital L. We're talking about Jesus Christ who was slain. Jesus, you are worthy of my time, my attention, and my money above all else. So I have some questions. Are the Dallas Cowboys worthy of your worship? Oh, heavens no. God forbid. Um, So my favorite seminary professor said anytime Paul... Almost cussed, he would say, God forbid. So, so I'm going to say, are the Dallas Cowboys worthy of worship? And you're going to say, God forbid. Right? With an attitude. Ready? Are the Dallas Cowboys worthy of worship? God Thank you. Yes, you're on the same page as I am. Is there any singer or actor or anyone in this world, any human being, who is worthy of your worship? God forbid. Yeah, y'all, y'all got that before I even made you do it. What you worship indicates what you value. And a lot of folks are are valuing the wrong things. The Hebrew word word used most often for worship is the word shakah. It means to bow down, to do homage. So let me show you where this is used in the Old Testament. In Psalm 96.9, we have the English word worship, but it's actually the word shakah. Worship, that means to bow down, to pay homage to whom? The Lord in in the splendor of his holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. In the Hebrew mind, bowing down and worship were very closely tied together. And in the Hebrew mind, according to the scripture, you can bow now or you're going to bow later, but you're going to bow. Remember the New Testament? At the name of Jesus, every knee on heaven, earth, under the earth is going to bow. You can bow now or you can bow later. This says tremble before him. You can tremble now or you can tremble now. You're going to bow. You're going to tremble one day. So what does this term worship mean for us today? Well, there's three things that I think need to be involved, and I didn't put these on your listening guide, but you might just jot these down. When you truly worship, if you want to worship the way God wants you to worship, that he is pleased with, the first thing is humility. Worship is about humbling ourselves before an awesome God. We bow down because we're in the presence of the, the most awesome, the most powerful, the only eternal. I know that that um, is it, Marvel Comics has the eternals. Those people aren't eternal. There's one. And you bow down to Him. And, and see, if you're not humble when you come into worship, you'll miss God. C.S. Lewis said, if you have pride, Pride is the complete anti-God state of mind. If you walk into a worship service proud, you are anti-God. You will not worship. You will not get the benefits of worship because you must humble yourself. And I'm going to tell you, Jesus said, if you exalt yourself, you're going to be humbled. But if you humble yourself, you're going to be exalted. So one way or the other, you're going to be humbled. And it makes sense to humble yourself. So we bow in humility before our God, in spirit and in truth. Second thing is submission. Worship is about submitting to one who is greater than us. It is about bowing down before a king, the capital K King. There were lots of kings in history. There's only one who is called King, capital K, King of Kings, Lord of Lords. We bow down to him. He has the right as our king to command us, and we have the responsibility to obey Billy Foote um, wrote a song. Billy Foote is, is this um, Christian singer, and, and he wrote a song called You Are My King. Um, I'm forgiven because you were forsaken. I'm accepted, you were condemned. I'm alive and well. Your spirit lives within me because you died and rose again. And then he says, um, amazing love, how, how could it be that you, my king, would die for me? And then in the bridge it says, you are my king. You are my king. Well, I was at youth camp. I know Billy Foot. I was at youth camp with him, and he was telling a story that he, he wrote the song, right? So he's on stage, and, and this kid comes up, this teenager comes up before, worship. And he goes, Hey, could you sing the the, the song? You are my king. Um, No, I'm sorry. He said, can you sing the song? I I'm forgiven. And Billy goes, you mean you are my king? And the kid goes, no, dude, it's called. I'm forgiven. And he goes, no, dude, it's called. You are my king. And he goes, I guess you don't know the song. He said, I guess I wrote the song. (laughs) He goes, Oh, really? It's called. You are my king. And when you submit, you you acknowledge that he's the king who has a right to your life. Third thing is a physical response. Worship is not limited to our heart response. I think the reason some of us miss God, we don't come in humbly. We don't come in with submission. And we forget to get our bodies involved. Call me jaded, I don't know. But when, when you stand there like this... Reckless love. Holy water. Sounds like my father. My father was like Popeye the Sailor Man. He had huge forearms. He was a pipe wrench, so he's like... He called it a glorified plumber, but he worked for Phillips Petroleum, so it was a, it was a petroleum plant. And he... Ah. Your music's too loud. So the dude, the dude on the video about amazing grace and that, too loud. My dad used to sit in the, in the crying baby's room because it had its own speaker in there and he could turn it down because your music's too dang loud. All right, Dad. You can stay home, Father. <laughs> you don't have to come. I think we forget to get our bodies involved. Because I'm going to tell you something. If you were at a ball game and your kid's playing... And your kid scored, good goal. If if you were at the Super Bowl and your team scores, come on. I think we're ripping off the Lord, which means we're ripping off our own worship. And that's why God never speaks to us because we're not worshiping in spirit and truth. Why do we worship? Let's run through a few things real quick. God, uh, Paul tells us this in Ephesians chapter 1. I just started studying Ephesians today, and I'm pumped about this. And, and it's kind of funny because every book I'm in the Bible, I'm just like, oh, I can't wait till tomorrow. I can't wait till tomorrow. I know what it says. I've read it seven times. But Here's what he says in Ephesians chapter 1. Long ago, even before the world was made. When? Even before the world was made. God did what? He chose us to be his very own through what Christ would do for us. He decided then to make us holy in his eyes without a single fault. We who stand before him covered with his love. That's that's important, covered with the blood with the love of Christ. His unchanging plan. What kind of plan? unchanging plan has always been to adopt us into his own family by sending Jesus Christ to die for us and he did this because he wanted to another translation said this gave him great pleasure so he was thinking of you before he ever made the world and so that brings us why do we worship God chose us to be in his family that's number one that could cause should cause you to worship I'm not an orphan God chose me to be a part of his family he chose you to be a part of his family And he wanted wanted a relationship with you and me so bad that he created a universe that is uniquely designed for human beings to exist. And what he hopes is that we will come seeking him because he said, if you'll seek me with all your heart, you will find me. I'll make sure that you find me. So we worship him to say thank you for, for offering to adopt us. Number two, we worship because every good thing is from God. I don't know if you know this, but James, the half-brother of Jesus, said everything. He said this, James 1.17, every good and perfect gift is from above. How many good and perfect gifts? Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. Everything you have from God, every good thing comes from God, and you should just say, thank you. That's why we worship. Another reason we worship? Is because life makes sense through worship. I don't know if this has ever happened to you. Have you ever been in a worship service and, and all of a sudden the light comes on and you go, oh, my goodness, you heard a song, you saw the video, you heard a teaching, and you go, they're talking to me. I know the problem and I know the solution. Anyone? Or is that just me? Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah okay. That happens through worship. And you know what the problem is? You know what the problem is? It's usually me in worship. It's usually you in worship. You're the reason that you don't hear from God because you're not worshiping the way he said to worship. And if you ever walk out of here and you haven't worshiped, it says way less about the worship team and the pastor than it does about your heart. Because worship, this this is going to be a revelation to some of you. Worship isn't about you. Worship is about the king. And when you get your heart right before the king, he will speak to you. It's a biblical concept, this thing of going to church. Look what David said um, in Psalm 73, 16 and 17. He said, when I tried to understand all this, it troubled me until I entered the sanctuary of God. Until I went to church. And then I understood their final destiny. He's talking about the, the godless. But but the principle is the same. Sometimes you are not going to understand until you humble yourself before God and get into his house. This is called the house of God. Now, the house of God is not a place. It's people. But when we gather together, something happens when we all worship him. Something happens. When I was at the very first the first ever WNBA championship game when the Houston Comets won the world championship in women's basketball. And because they were just tearing it up, everybody around us is going, yeah, and we're high-fiving. I'm like, I never saw you before. This was obviously before COVID, but people are spitting and shouting and, yes, hugging. Woo, we're the champions. When's was the last time you went to church and people were excited that the tomb was empty? Shouldn't be that way. You get God's wisdom when you worship. You humble yourself. You acknowledge God. You sometimes you have to bow. Sometimes you have to clap. Sometimes you just have to say touchdown. And God looks down at that and says, "There's a worshiper I can trust. You want my wisdom here." Too often, though, we come into worship, we demand God meet on our schedule. And God says, you're unclear on the concept. I don't meet on your schedule. You meet on mine. How many times have you gotten God's wisdom while you're watching your favorite TV show? (laughs) I think sometimes we get dumber after watching our favorite TV shows. Can I just say that? I mean, there's times Janie and I'll watch something, I'll go, I just lost some brain cells. Or we'll catch ourselves in the middle of a show and go, this is, dumb. this is making me dumber, and we'll change it or turn it off. When's the last time you got God's wisdom when you were playing a sport? People all the time like, well, I can worship out in nature. Yeah, you can. But if you're fishing, I'm telling you, I, I was fishing a few weeks ago, and it was stinking cold, and it was tough fishing, and I'm asking the Lord to help me catch some fish. But I wasn't worshiping. I was trying to catch fish. And when I finally slowed down enough, I'd throw that dumb thing out there and I'd twitch it and just go to sleep about, twitch it. And then, then they were so cold, they'd come up and just kind of go, <laughs> <laughs> and if you pulled that thing to, you would pull that lure straight out its mouth. And I said, this is the most boring thing I've ever done. I want a fish that go, ah, you know, yes. You heard it. I don't have to do that twice. (laughs) David said, when I went to the temple, when I went to church, then I understood. And some of you are not getting God's wisdom because you've neglected his bride, the church. Number four, God restores my soul through worship. Straight out of Scripture. You read it a lot of times at the graveside. I read Psalm 23. Lord is my shepherd, I shall not walk. He makes me lie down. Beside uh, in green pastures, but he leads me beside still waters. And then verse three says, he restores my soul. Have you ever had your soul troubled and come into the presence of God? And it's usually at an unexpected moment when he restores you. If your soul is in turmoil, then, then you, need, you need to worship. And here's here's another verse that, that backs that up. Psalm 18, 28 through 32 says, You Lord God, keep my lamp burning. <laughs> they had oil lamps, they could run out. Your car ever run out of gas? Do it keep running? You ever run out of emotional strength? It's a huge sign that you need to worship. You, Lord God, keep my lamp burning. You turn darkness to light. Your way is perfect, Lord, and your word is correct. You are a shield to those who run to you for help. You alone, God, only you are a mighty rock. You give me strength and you guide me right. My teenagers, when I was a youth minister, used to say, Wednesday nights get me through the week. And then they would say, some of them said, Wednesday nights got me through high school. They said, we cannot wait to get here on Wednesday nights so we can worship the Lord. I feel the same way about Sundays. It's my favorite day of the week. I get to worship and then I get to take a nap. It's awesome. The Bible says very clearly that there's a right way to worship and there's a wrong way to worship. So what kind of worship does God want? Does he he love? Wholehearted worship. He loves passionate worship. He loves it when we seek him in spirit and in truth, humility and submission. And when we move, even if you just tap your toe, if you just make a joyful noise. Look what 2 Chronicles 31.21 says. Hezekiah incorporated Moses' teaching and commands into worship and dedicated his life to serving God. Whatever he did for the worship in God's temple, he did how? Whole Heartedly. And then I want you to see the last word, and he did what? The reason he succeeded was he made God number one and he did it with all of his heart. Can I tell you, some of you are not succeeding because you either worship half-heartedly or it's non-existent. And your heavenly father does not give himself to half-hearted worshipers or non-worshipers. The Holy Spirit will not waste his time with a non praying, non worshiping person. So don't get mad at God. You need to look at the mirror, a physical mirror, and then the Word of God is called the mirror and figure out what's going on. And I'm going to tell you 99.9% of the time, you're going to be the problem. You're going to be the reason you're not hearing from God. God rejects improper, heartless worship. Isaiah 29, 13 says, these these people claim to worship me, but their words are what? And he's going to tell you why they're meaningless. God is speaking to Isaiah. This isn't Isaiah talking. God is speaking, and he's saying, these Israelites, their words are meaningless. And he tells us why. Because their hearts are somewhere else. You ever been in worship? You get a text, or you're thinking about whether you're going to make it to, to, to the restaurant before the Methodists? I'd already thought of that before I looked at you, Michael. I'd forgotten he'd told me his daddy was a Methodist preacher for years. He's retired. Our our people used to get mad at the preacher if he went too long because we'd have to stand behind the Catholics and the Presbyterians. Do you think that was heartless worship? God rejects it. He says... Their words are meaningless, their hearts are somewhere else, their religion is nothing but human rules and traditions which they simply memorized. I don't know if you, but I've been in a couple of services like this. So one time I was dating a girl in high school and she was at a very different tradition than I was. And then, and I went into church with her and and so like they're standing up and I'm standing up, they're sitting down and I'm I'm not knowing what to do and she's trying to help me out, you know. And then they knew all of this stuff. And I don't know what they were saying, but they knew what to say. But they said it like this. And I'm just using the Lord's Prayer as an example. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I'm going, what? (laughs) And so she pulls out a book and she says, just follow this and say it at the right time. And I'm like, do I have to say it like them? When your mouth is in gear and your mind is not, God says, Don't even bother. That's not worship. And let me tell you this watching worship is not worship. Whether you watch people worship in this room or whether you simply watch online, that's not worship. Watching worship is better than nothing, but it's not worship. There's a place, the Bible talks about private worship. You're supposed to do that every day. But once a week, we're supposed to get together and celebrate what God has done in our lives. Did you know there are at least 58 commands in the New Testament you cannot obey if you do not come to church? There's 58 one-anothers. Please explain to me how you do a one-another by yourself. I hadn't seen it. Unless you have some mental health issues where there's... Mo- I don't, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said that. I'm sorry, I should not have said that. Lord, I did not put that in here. That just snuck in because my mouth sometimes goes. Psalm one, David said, I was glad. I was what? Not mad, not sad, not egad, not dad. I had a whole list of them, but I thought I'd stop right there. I was glad when they said, let us go into the house of the Lord. When's the last time you were in the house of the Lord? And when was the last time you were glad to go to the house of the Lord? Now, I know some of you are watching online. I waited until now to say that so that you'd get a little bit stirred up at me. Some of you can't help it. And, and we, when I can't be here, I'm watching online. I'm going to tell you, if it's at all possible, I'm going to be at church somewhere and then I'll watch church online as well. And if you can't be here, this is, this is for you. We understand that. I'm talking about the people who could come, but don't. And, and you know, when, when, when COVID hit, we had over 1,000 people watching our worship services for two weeks. And then the numbers started going down and down and down and down. How long has it been since you've been in the house of the Lord? How long has it been since you were glad? to go to the house of the Lord. You're missing it if you don't. So let's let's talk about ways to worship, and I am going to fly through these. First one is listen and learn and obey, and this comes straight out of Scripture. Listen, learn, and obey. Look at this verse from Deuteronomy 31.12. It says, gather, and that means assemble. It means meet together. Gather who? All the people, the men, the women, the children, the foreigners living in your towns. That's everybody. So that they can listen and learn to respect the Lord your God and carefully obey everything in this law. God expects you to listen and to learn and to obey together every week. Y'all know the cheers theme? Sometimes you want to go where everybody knows your name and there are supposed to be church. They sing it about a bar. We should sing it about church where everybody knows you and they're pumped if you're there and they're worried if you're not. Psalm 85.8, these are the sons of Korah that actually wrote this. And I, if you have questions about that, look it up or I'll tell you. But the sons of Korah said, I listen carefully to what God the Lord is saying, for he speaks peace to his faithful people. Do you know how you listen carefully when you're in church or when you're at home? You take notes. The, the Air Force did a study years ago to figure out how much you remember of the things you just hear. You simply listen to them. There's no visual. There's no writing down. You forget 95% of what a pastor says by Wednesday. That's depressing because there's 3,000 words in this sermon that I typed up. That means you might remember 150 of them by Wednesday if I'm lucky. So you have a responsibility to listen carefully, and the reason we give you listening guides is so that you can write it down. It increases how much you listen. And by the way, I put all of these scriptures, not all of them, but I put at least one scripture on all these major points so that you could spend some time this week reading through those scriptures and letting God speak to you. So many people cry out to God and they say, speak to me. And God says, I already had it. It's in my word. It was, it was at church. You missed it. You're not listening. Um, Rick Warren is a pastor that I listen to a lot. He said that one time God was, he was praying and God said to him, do you know what the, the passage, don't cast your pearls before swine means? And, and Rick was like, well, God, I think it means that, that we need to be careful who we, we you know, give our, the word of God to. And, and he goes, no, Rick, you're swine. And Rick was like, what? And God said, I have spoken to you time and time again. You don't even care enough to write it down. It is taking my word, which is pearls, and throwing it before swine, someone who doesn't even care enough to write it down. Somebody ought to say, ouch. Thank you. Mary. I don't know who else said it, but. Jesus said, now that you know these things, now that you've listened and learned, God will bless you if you do them. You don't don't get credit for listening. You don't get credit for learning. You get credit for what? God's going to bless you only if you obey, only if you do those things. Number two, singing to God. Notice those last two words. Singing to whom? God. Some of you are going to sing. You're going to go outside. And it's not a bad thing to sing to the radio on the way home. But that's not worship if you're not singing to God. If you're just singing it. You know, sometimes it hits, and people just start singing. I've been to the Dallas Mavericks games, and, man, they put on some songs, and everybody in the crowd singing. That's not worship. We sing to God. It's not enough to, to sing. Worship means singing to God. I love how the message translation puts Psalm 32, 11. It says, celebrate God. Sing together, everyone. All you honest hearts, raise the roof. I love that. Worship is to be a festival, not a funeral. It's to be a celebration, not a lamentation. A lamentation is, woe is me. We got way too many Eeyores in the church. Nobody loves me. Well, there's a reason why. Because <laughs> you suck the life out of everything. <laughs> We're supposed to celebrate. I read about a counselor who has the same question for everybody who walks into his office with depression. And the question is this, did you sing all the songs at church last Sunday? And what do you think the answer to that question is every time for someone who's depressed? No. And so he says, I want you to go back to church. I want you to sing them with all of your heart. And then he says this, impression without expression leads to depression. Meaning if all you ever do is take stuff in and you never get to share your heart, you're going to be depressed. You should come and celebrate with us. It is the antidote to depression. <laughs> if Waylon were to sing to me, when I was his age, I would sing. I would just make up songs. I heard my daddy do it, so I just made up songs. And I'd say, "Mommy, did you like that song? She'd go, yeah, baby. I love that song. Sing it again. If Waylon at five starts singing to me, What do you think I'm going to say? Oh, baby. You need to take some lessons. (laughs) Is that what I'm going to say to him? No. I love that boy. He'll come and he'll get my finger and just start pulling me. Where are we going? We're going to play. And if he were to sing me a song, I would say, Waylon, sing it again. That was awesome. Your heavenly father. says, sing me a song from your heart. Do you know every human emotion can be expressed through music? And in the case of some country songs, every human emotion is in the same song. (laughs) You know, with our self-driving cars, it's just a matter of time before some homeboy's car leaves him and he writes a song about it. (laughs) Singing is vital for your emotional and spiritual health. And that's because, here it is, praise is a mood lifter. All right, i got to accelerate this because we're definitely not getting out before the Methodists. Number three, praying together. There's added power when we pray together. I'm in a prayer group that has been praying together for three years, and and my goal, I'm, I'm not making this up, my goal is I pray with these people as long as I'm alive, as long as we're able to. And we have seen unbelievable answers to prayer. We have seen God take us through the valley of the shadow of death. And these are some of my closest friends on the planet. And I probably wouldn't be up here in front of you if I didn't have this prayer group over the past three years. Acts 1.14 says they all joined together constantly in prayer. I think if we were constantly in prayer as a church, we would see the miracles that they saw in Acts chapter 1 and 2 where marriages are put together, where, where diseases are cured, where mental health issues are cured. Paul said it this way to the Romans in Romans 1.12. I, I want us to help each other with the faith we have. Your faith will help me and my faith will help you. My faith can't possibly help you if we're not ever together. Your faith can't possibly help me if I don't know you. Prayer is an act of worship, and there is a different level when you pray with other people. Number four, how do we worship? By sharing, God's, uh, by sharing the Lord's Supper. Um, we do this occasionally here about three or four times a year. We do this I always do some teaching because it's very important. Here's what Paul said in 1 Corinthians ten sixteen: When we ask the Lord's blessing upon our drinking from the cup of wine, and some of you are going, wine? No, we're not doing that because we have CR here, and we're not going to cause anybody to stumble. Um, I know some denominations, they have a good belt of wine. Every time they take the Lord's Supper, we're not going to do that. It's going to be grape juice. I'm, I'm too Baptist to have wine in the service, so, so chill out. But the living Bible says a cup of wine at the Lord's table. This means, doesn't it? Here's what I want you to see, that all who drink it are sharing together the blessing of Christ's blood. And when we break off pieces of the bread from the loaf to eat there together, this shows that we are sharing together the benefits of his body. What does this mean, the benefits of Christ's body? It means being reminded about the, the, the life and the death of Jesus on the cross. Because this is huge. When he died on the cross, he was a substitute for your sins. He paid the penalty. And that means if he's your heavenly father, you can never be charged with those sins that you committed. They are wiped clean. So he's, he has given you power over the penalty penalty of your sins. The second thing is when he rose from the dead and went back to heaven, he sent the Holy Spirit and he said the Holy Spirit will live inside of you and give you power over sin. He paid the penalty, you have power where you don't have to sin if you dwell if the Holy Spirit dwells within you and has control of your life and then God has promised followers of his that eventually we'll not even be in the presence of sin when we die and we go to be with him in heaven. There is no sin in heaven. God cannot look upon sin. No sinner will get into heaven unless their penalty has been paid by Jesus Christ. So the penalty has been paid for. You have power over sin. Eventually, you're not even going to be in the presence of sin because you're going to be with a holy Father in heaven, and that's why we celebrate the Lord's Supper. It reminds us of those things. And by the way, we've done drive-by Lord's Supper. People who couldn't come, I'll do a drive-by Lord's Supper. You let me know. I'll do extra. I won't. I won't. We'll seal it up so that I don't have to uh, cleanse the bread and the cup, you know. But we, I'll. I It was one of the coolest things ever. Do a drive-by Lord's Supper. Number five: by recommitting your life to Christ. Romans 12.1 says, "Because of God's great mercy to us, I appeal to you, offer yourselves as a living sacrifice to God." What kind of sacrifice? This is important dedicated to his service and pleasing to him. This is true worship that you should offer. This is, Jesus said, worship in spirit and truth. Here it is. You offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. What's the problem with the living sacrifice? It can crawl off the altar. Have you ever dedicated yourself to God on Sunday morning? God, I'm yours. I'm yours, Lord. Whoa, yeah, Monday morning. Monday happens. You get into work. Turn your back on God. Anybody done that? We make a commitment to God when we serve him. And we're about to go out here and in the have our lunch and, and have our ministry fair. And we have these little cards called connection cards, connect cards. Most of you should have gotten them. You make a commitment. I'm going to tell you, you're going to grow more through serving than you're going to ever grow through sitting. And you need to get plugged into a ministry. You're going to have an opportunity to ask the folks out there in just a minute. So you can fill that out. If there's something you want to go talk to somebody about and you think, I want to serve in that ministry, you can mark that card and you can give it to them. We'll, we'll take care of that. Number six, by giving back to God. John 3.16, most famous verse in the world, says, God so loved the world that he gave. God so what? Loved that he did what? You can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. And and some of you have never given anything to the body of Christ. Here's what Paul said about offerings on first Corinthians sixteen two. He said, On every Lord's Day, that's Sunday. Each of you should put aside something from what you've earned during the week and use it for this offering. The amount depends on how much the Lord has helped you. For 30 years in our marriage, actually I did this before we got married, for 30 years, Janie and I have practiced what we call priority percentage giving. Priority means the first, percentage means percentage. The percentage comes from the Scripture... Tithe, T-I-T-H-E, actually means 10%. So for 30 years, we have given 10%, the first 10% to God. We give it to the church. And by the way, I don't designate that. I give that to the general fund because I don't want to rob God. I think the Bible talks about that, I'm going to read it in just a second. So if I make $10, a dollar goes into the general fund. If I make $1,000, $100 goes into the general fund. When we gave, I gave $500 to Mount Olive Baptist Church, that was over and above the tithe. I'm not going to take my tithe, my 10% from God and give it to somebody else. We have three compassion children that is over and above the tithe because I'm not going to rob God. And, And some of you say, rob God? Well, that's exactly what Malachi 3, 8, and 9 says. Will a mere mortal rob God? How many of you are mortal? All of you, okay. Will a mere mortal rob God, yet you rob me? But you ask, how are we robbing you? He says, in tithes, the 10%, and the offerings, the things over the 10%. He says, you are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Do you want God involved in your finances? This is a yes or no question. I'm just curious. Do you want God involved in your finances? Then if you don't give, you're saying to God, my finances are more important than you. And your finances don't benefit me personally. They benefit the ministry of the church. Yes, I get a salary from the church. But but I don't have control over all of that. We have a budget process. And if something's in the budget, then we can do it. If it's not in the budget, I have to go to the board and ask them for permission in in order to spend any money that's not budgeted. We believe, though, that people who love God and want to serve Him are going to give to His kingdom. Number seven. By being baptized publicly. This is another way to worship. When we're lowered into the water, it's like the burial of Jesus. When we're raised up out of the water, it's like the resurrection of Jesus. Baptism symbolizes Jesus being laid in the tomb and being raised from the dead. And it's the first thing we're commanded to do after we come into the kingdom. And and, and I have a hard time believing you're a fully devoted follower of Christ if you've disobeyed the first command you're given to be baptized. That's how you go public with who, who has saved you. And so it is a very big deal. And we teach here, we believe it's by immersion because we believe every baptism in the scripture was by immersion. The word itself means to dip under. And so I want you to think about if you've never been baptized or if you want to be baptized as as you're symbolizing your new life in Christ or you're coming back to Christ, then be baptized. Okay, so all of that. Those Those are seven ways to worship. There's a whole bunch of others. But let me end with this. Why church is so important. Ephesians 2.22 says, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. So the foundation of the apostles and prophets and Jesus Christ, that doesn't change. In fact, that's in the past. We build on what they did and then look what he says. In him, Jesus Christ, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together into a dwelling. This, God, does, God doesn't dwell in the building. He dwells in the people. But this says you are a part of the church at New Life Community Church. And it's like a puzzle piece. And if you're not here, you're not serving. The puzzle that God created for Anderson County out here on this hill on 155 is incomplete. And it's time that you figure out why God brought you here and take your puzzle piece, figure out your spiritual gift. We will help you and get plugged in. You two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. God is pleased when his people serve him. So you're going to have an opportunity to go out here and eat, and we're going to celebrate, and we're going to have fun. You can ask the different ministries. You can look at your Connect card. You can ask questions. We wanted you to see the real-life people who are in charge of each of these ministries, whether it's Celebrate Recovery, Men's, Women's, Bible Study. We want you to have a human being to talk to because we need you to get plugged in if we're going to be all that God has created us to be. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your love and your grace. Thank you for speaking to us today through worship through a silly video about different types of worship, and I hope now through your word. God, I pray you stir the hearts of people to realize that your church is not optional. The church is your bride, and if we neglect your bride, we're neglecting you, we're neglecting your word. We are being disobedient people. Teach us what it means to be humble, and teach us what it means to plug in and serve you. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.